Well, this morning I want you to open your Bible to 1 Timothy in chapter 1. We're going to be looking at some verses there, but I just want to remind you a little bit about last night. I know that God worked in your hearts last night, and we began to think about spiritual disciplines maybe a little bit different. I was surprised that not many of you, at least you were unwilling to raise your hands, put down that a primary spiritual discipline for anybody that's going to go is someone who is willing and strengthened and disciplined in forgiveness. And guys, I want to tell you that it works. It worked in relationship with my wife. It works in relationship with me and it'll work for you. Forgiveness is an essential missionary spiritual discipline. I don't know if you know when Iowa State University Salt Company made the news, but last year or two years ago now, June 2nd, 2022, when we were kicking off our first summer salt, we had a man who had gone through a breakup with one of our salt leaders because of her relationship with Christ and she knew her relationship with this man was an inappropriate relationship. So in order to follow Jesus, she had to disengage from this relationship and he was disgruntled and so he came with a gun and as salt company was beginning, somersault as our several hundred students were pouring into our auditorium, this man saw his ex-girlfriend pulled out his gun, and shot her dead in our parking lot. And then shot her best friend dead in our parking lot, a twin. And then turned the gun on himself and shot himself. In a moment, everything changed. That could happen here. The whole thing took three minutes. And all of our lives were changed in three minutes. And at that time, your your faith is really tested. The friend who was shot had a twin, and her faith was tested. The girl who was shot, all of her connection group, their faith was tested. And we had to see for sure if the foundation that we're standing on Jesus Christ will hold in the midst of a tragedy like that. And I want to proclaim to you that we never have seen more people come to faith in Christ because of that tragedy. We've never seen more lives changed because of that tragedy. We have never seen more forgiveness given than because of that tragedy. One of the first responsibilities that I have as a result of that was to reach out to the family of the shooter, to attend the memorial service of the shooter, to say and to read a letter from Cornerstone Church to say, we forgive you and we forgive John. One of the most surreal encounters was a year ago at the anniversary of June 2nd, the moms of the two dead girls who were both Christians, godly girls, walking with Jesus, one who had given her life to Christ through Salt Company, the other one who'd been journeying with Christ before that, the twin, the moms of those two girls met with the mom of the shooter to reassure her again that they forgive her with Christ's love and she had nothing to do with that. You talk about a holy moment and a surreal encounter. I'm telling you guys, the principles of the scripture work. And so matter how much you've been hurt, forgive. That's principle number one. But principle number two today is, guess what guys? Did any of you write top three, confess my sins and keep my conscience clear? We all talk about reading our Bible and memorizing scripture. We talk about fasting and praying. 
But guys, we need to put on the lust confessing our sins and seeking a clear conscience because like the tractor pull, if you don't forgive people who've hurt you, you're not gonna finish. And like the tractor pull, if you don't confess your sins and ask forgiveness from those who you hurt, you're not gonna finish. And we all know in a race, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Working with college students is the joy of my life. Like I said, if I had two lifetimes, I'd do it again. Early in my college ministry, we had two student leaders, Carl Laboon and Jeff Connor. Those guys now are in their 50s. So this is how far back this story goes, but it still gives me delight every time I tell it. There's a qualifying marathon for the Boston Marathon called the Bix. It's in the Quad Cities. It's on the border of Iowa, eastern Iowa, and western Illinois, and those are the Quad Cities. And this Bix is run every year, and it's the biggest race in Iowa. And these guys were from that area of the country, and so they said, I wanna be on national television. And so you know what they did? They went to the Bix the year earlier, and when the guys discarded their numbers that they wore on their chest, they actually picked them up for themselves because year after year, they would do the same thing. It's no longer, it was before the days of you know, cell phones even. And it's just the piece of paper that you wore with the number. And so the next year, the following year, they put on their running gear and these were not marathon runners and these were not runners. They were just crazy college kids. So they strapped on those numbers. They worked their way. The elite runners are always in the front and they guard the elite runners, but not like they do today. They didn't guard them as good back then. And so these two guys, Jeff Carter and Carl Boone, worked their way to the very front of the elite runners. And this is a marathon. And so they thought, we're gonna be on national television. And as soon as the gun went off, with all of their energy and all of their effort, they started sprinting, trying to keep up with these elite runners. And they were able to keep up with them, and they ran into the front. And if you watched it on television, it said, like, Matuna Kambande and you know, another African name are somehow leading this race. And it was these two white guys just sprinting in front of all, but it was last year's guys. And then you know what they did? <laughs> they just kind of dodged off into the crowd after about 200 yards. Both of them fell to their knees and fell to the ground in exhaustion. And I think so many of us, that's what our journey with Jesus is like. Whenever we get excited about the Lord, we're good for about 200 yards. But your walk with Jesus, guys, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's not a trip, it's a journey. And if you wanna finish, you're gonna have to develop these principles of the soul, these disciplines of the soul that you gotta learn to forgive people who hurt you, but you also have to learn to confess your sin and seek forgiveness from others in order to finish. If I were you, I'd live in First and Second Timothy. When I was a young person, I memorized both of those books. I wish I still could quote them. They're somewhere in my soul. My hard drive is full, so I'm throwing out the wrong stuff sometimes. But there's verses like this, 1 Timothy 4, 12. Don't let anyone despise you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, what you say, in conduct, what you do, in love, how you feel, in faith, your pursuit of God, and in purity. In other words, don't let your youth be an excuse for godless living. You can set an example for all the believers in all areas of life. I like 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. It says, flee from youthful lust. And it's the idea of run away fast. 
and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with all of those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. A lot of you guys grew up in the church in Christian homes and I've heard a little bit about your background. Do you ever go to a Christian camp and, and sing, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus? Do you know that song? I have decided Okay, I know you know. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a verse. Though none go with me, I still will fall. You know, instead, I'm a champion for God. I don't need anybody. Well, that's not Bible. God didn't create us to walk with him alone. He's created us to walk with him with others. And guys, you gotta link arms with friends who have decided to pursue Jesus you got to lock arms with friends who decided to go all the way for the gospel in faith and love and purity, along with all of those. You only flee from these youthful passions and pursue righteousness where others who are called to do the same. And if you're ever alone, pray that God would give you a friend, but you always have the Holy Spirit to be with you. I like 1 Timothy 1, chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Paul writes to his protege Timothy, but you, man of God, how do you think that made him feel? When your mentor calls you a man of God, he said, but you, man of God, flee from these things, talking about worldly wealth and pleasures, and he said, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life. Then he said in 2 Timothy chapter four, he said, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to everyone who has loved his appearing. But I wanna draw your attention, especially this morning, to chapter one, verse five. Look at that with me. 1 Timothy chapter one, verse five. Paul writes, Timothy, the goal of our instruction is love. We knew that. Greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And what did John say? Don't tell me you love God who you cannot see if you don't love your brother who you see every day. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you're in the disciples, if you love one another and have unity with the brethren. But Paul said to Timothy, love is not a natural thing for us. It comes from an inner resource. Love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. We talked a little bit last night about a pure heart. It's how we feel, it's our emotions. It's being relationally forgivers so that our emotions are free to love anybody, even those who have hurt us, anybody, even those who we would consider to be enemies of the gospel or even enemies of us. But then he said, it also comes from a good conscience. What he's saying is, that's something that's going on in your mind, how we think, so that you have no guilt, no unconfessed sin, and then sincere faith, our will, what we do, faith that works, being willing to say yes to God even when it's difficult. But if you look down at verse 18 of chapter one, let your, let your mind go down to these verses. Let's read them together. First Timothy 1, 18 and 19. You say, Timothy, my son, 
I'm giving you this instruction. Remember, the goal of this instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. And he said, I'm giving you this instruction, then follow me, so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have shipwrecked their faith. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's not sin that's going to destroy your life. It's not sin that's going to destroy your life. Here's what it is. It's unconfessed sin. It's secret sin. It's covered sin. Your family dysfunctions over secrets. Your life will be destroyed over your secrets. Here's what J.C. Ryle said. He's an old dead guy. But he wrote some great stuff. J.C. Ryle wrote this. Nothing darkens the eyes of the mind so much and deadens the conscience so surely as an allowed secret sin. It may be a little one, but it is no less dangerous. A small leak will sink a great ship. A small spark will kindle a great fire. A little allowed sin will ruin an immortal soul. Take my advice and never spare the little sin. Like I say, I've been doing ministry for over 40 years now. That's beginning to be a long time, you know? Uh, me and Jim Cato, we, we, I mean, we're, we're like old. And when you get old, you kind of see some patterns. And here's a pattern I've noticed. You want to know what the number one reason why people feel guilty? This is a fact. It's, you know, four decades of experience speaking to you right now. You know the number one reason people feel guilty? They are. Now, some of us have this false guilt. Wah. I don't know what to tell you about that. But most of us, we feel guilty because we are sinners and we have sin that's been unconfessed. I used to hate it when my mom used my first, middle, and last name. Did your mom do that too? She would cry out to me, Troy Glenn Nesbitt. And I would start rifling through my life and the events of my life and the days of my life just present because I knew that the reason she was using my middle name and my last name in conjunction with my first name is because I was in trouble. Maybe your mom did that to you. You just feel that guilt. Well, how about when you see an officer of the law? Do you think, oh, wow, oh, there's an angel of mercy, an angel of God. To, yeah, right? Or do you immediately think, oh, how fast am I going, right? <laughs> I remembered that when I became a parent, and uh, so I decided to do something to my kids. They would, all five of them, my first generation of kids, my wife and I have five uh, kids within less than seven years, and then we later adopted our two youngest sons from Ethiopia. But when all five of my kids would be playing in the basement, I would... Uh, pick one out, and I would scream down at them, you know, I would say, Tyler Thomas Nesbitt, get up here right now, you know, use that dad angry voice, <laughs> you know, and I know what was happening in his little soul, it's like, 
I'm in trouble. I'm going to cry out for mercy, for grace, right? And he'd get up there. He'd say, yeah, dad. And I'd say, oh, I've been thinking about you. I am overwhelmed with love for you. Delight in you, my son, my joy, my delight. And I just, I wanted to tell you how much I love you and just give you a hug and tell you that I just delight in you, my son. Now, go and play. <laughs> That's evil. <laughs> uh, I've confessed my sin to him. Here's the definition of a good conscience. No one can say to me, you wronged me and never did anything to make it right. Or being able to say to God, God, I have confessed every known sin to you and every sin against any person I have confessed to them and asked their forgiveness. The Apostle Paul, in the end of his journey, when he was trying to share the gospel with Festus, he said this, I always strive to have a clear conscience, not just toward God, but also toward men. Many of us maybe have a private life of confessing to God, but too few of us are consistently confessing our sins to others. And even much less of us are confessing to others that we sinned against them. Maybe you have a private sexual sin that nobody knows about or you think nobody knows about. Maybe you're in a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend and you have struggles in that relationship that you are keeping secret together. Maybe you have sins of lying and cheating and stealing or even self-harm or body idolatry or comparison or slander or gossip or you name it. And you have that sin that is deep in your soul and it remains unconfessed. And I'm gonna tell you, that any sin that is not brought into the light, you are sowing a seed in your soul, in the depths of your soul, in the soil of your soul. And what happens when you plant a seed? Oh, before it ever comes above ground to be seen, it grows roots. And the deeper you plant it, the deeper the roots. And the longer you let it stay, the stronger the roots. And when it comes up, it will bear fruit and it will destroy you. What does Numbers 32, 23 say? Know this. Your sin will Know this, your sin will find you out. What did Jesus say in Luke 12? What is whispered in secret will be shouted from the mountaintops. What is done in the darkness will be revealed in the light. And Paul told Timothy, strive to have a clear conscience. Peter said, keep a clear conscience so that when you're accused, no one can disparage you because your conduct before Christ. Don't be put to shame. I think so many People today are afraid to run for political office. You know why? Whatever they've done in the past, it's going to be uncovered. When I came to Christ, like I say, my dad, God love him. He's the godliest man I know, and he was a pastor, and so I got in some serious trouble when I was a young man, and I thought, my dad's going to quit, and he was. And so I think maybe I repented of my sin as much because I didn't want my dad to quit as because I wanted to know, love, and follow Jesus, but God works all things together. And so I confessed my sin, and my dad, you know, he was raised by an abusive 
alcoholic Catholic, and so he became a Southern Baptist pastor. You know, my, my grandfather couldn't speak a sentence without saying a swear word, and my dad wouldn't say jackass. You know, my, my grandfather drank every day and was drunk every day, and you can put all the alcohol my dad ever drank in a half a can of beer, right? Um, my dad, my, my grandfather was a chain smoker, and uh, my dad felt the guilt of sin over secondary smoke, right? It, and so that's why he became a legalist, you know, and raised us, man, just the opposite of that. But he actually had bitterness in his soul. And when he was able to finally forgive his dad, he was set free from his own legalism. And he was able to pastor us and father us. And when my dad forgave his dad, you know what it felt like, my dad being a pastor? It felt like my dad became a Christian. And so when I repented of my sin, he decided, well, I'm going to help my son with this idea of confession. And so Sunday morning, you know, how many of you guys grew up in churches where it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, any of those? Yeah, uh, that's, that's this one. And so when I repented of my sin, my dad decided not to quit his job, but he wanted me to confess all my sins to the whole church. So he said Sunday morning, he said, I want you guys to come back tonight uh, because, uh, you know, you almost lost your pastor this week. And I knew I was the guest speaker. Nobody else knew that. So they had two services on Sunday morning, but only one service on Sunday night, and it was packed. And there I had to confess my sins to the whole church. Now, was that right for my dad to do that? No, no. But I would rather be an over-confessor than an under-confessor. And you know what? When I began to confess my sins to the church, there was a burden that was literally lifted from my soul. And I began to love people like I'd never loved people before. And I began to care about people that I never cared about before. And I began to see people as people rather than see me as someone in comparison to those people. But here's the truth. There were some sins that I was unwilling to confess. And I'm going to ask you a question. This morning at chapel, what sins do you think that I can continue to struggle with after that? There were some sins that I've never struggled with since, but there were some sins that continued to grip my heart. Oh yeah, it was those unconfessed sins. The sexual immorality that I was just too embarrassed to tell the truth for. The cheating that I did in school that I was just too ashamed. The stealing that I did at work. And through the power of the Holy Spirit continuing to work in me, one day I made a decision that I am going to confess all of my sins. And I don't care what the consequences are. I want to be free from sin. Don't you want to be free from sin? How many of you who know Jesus, who are struggling with sin, are enjoying the struggle of sin? Maybe you're looking at things you shouldn't look at. And after you're done with that whole sequence, do you think, yes, I did it again. Woohoo! Maybe you're in a relationship and you're sinning with the person you're in a relationship with. And when you go through that whole sequence, how many of you afterwards feel like, yes, we did it again? Woo! You cannot, you cannot indwell sin of the holy sin of your flesh and the life of the Holy Spirit in a human and not experience a consequence immediately after that sin. How many of you want to be set free from that sin? All of that sin. 
Now, you will continue to sin, but you can be set free from those sins that enslave you, and I promise you, and it begins with confession and forsaking, and then the secondary step, guess what you gotta do? You gotta clear your conscience. And I wanted to be so free that you know what I did? I began to confess all of my sin and bring it into the light. I was in college at the time, and I cheated a lot in high school. So you know what I did? I went back to my high school principal and said, dude, um, when I was here, I cheated a lot. And I, I, did, I didn't deserve the grade. So I'm willing to come back and do high school again. What do you think? He said, whoa, I'll have to talk to your teachers. And he forgave. And I was just hoping I'd get another chance at high school sports because I realized I failed in college. <laughs> I went to my work. Everything I'd ever stolen, I tried to add it up and I gave it back and I went to my employer and I gave him the money and I confessed my sin. I went to every single girl that I'd been in relationship with. Confessed my sin and asked them to forgive me. Because I thought maybe someday I'll be a pastor and I would hate to have seen any of the girls who I dated come into the church that I was pastoring. You know, me greet them. Hey, how's the gospel today? For her to stand up and say, hey, you don't know this guy the way I know him. Funny thing, my youngest daughter, when she was a junior in high school, she came home all happy one day. She came home happy almost every day. She was my perfect child. Um, and uh, she, she, I could tell you stories about her. We take the rest of chapel. Just, it's crazy. I mean, uh, I, I love her. I love you, Morgan, if you ever get to watch this. I love all you kids, all of you. Just Morgan, <laughs> she's pretty special. <clears throat> so she said, Dad, I made a new friend today at school. Her mom is one of your old girlfriends. You dated in high school. And I thought, oh crap. I said, what's her mom's name? She told me her mom's name and I went, oh crap. Because we never dated. Yes. She said, she's coming to church with me. I went, oh, crap. With her mom. Oh, crap. It's, it's happening, right? But you know, because I had confessed my sin to her and I'd asked her to forgive me, you know the way she told the story to her daughter? Oh, we dated in high school. He's a really good guy. My daughter ended up leading her to Christ and she later became a salt company staff in one of our church plants in Omaha. And when she came into my home, I told my wife, this is so weird, but it is so right because she didn't look at me as that person who sinned with her and against her. She looked at me as someone who took ownership for their sin. I have seven kids and I haven't been a perfect dad. One of my daughters, my second oldest, struggles with a horrible disease. She's bipolar. 
And we discovered it when she was 13 years old. I told her to go into the kitchen and clean the kitchen and I found her out in the front yard in the grass looking for pots and pans and I realized for the first time in my life something is broken in this child. She's been hospitalized multiple times, but you know, I didn't even believe in mental illness. I just thought it was poor parenting. I just thought I had a rebellious child. And so in rage, often I would try to discipline her and I would try to get her on the path of righteousness for the name of Jesus. And often I would sin against her in relationship. But you know what her declarative voice is? Every time dad sinned against me, within 24 hours he's in my room asking my forgiveness for his sin. Regardless of what I did, regardless of who I did it with, regardless of when I did it, every time that dad blew it with me, he came to me and said, I have sinned against you, will you forgive me? And she said, I wanted to hate him, I wanted to reject him, I wanted to refuse him, but what kept me in relationship with him was not the fact that he sinned against me, but was the fact that I couldn't hold it against him because he had confessed his sin. Right now, I have an adopted son. His name is Malachi. He's 20 or so. We don't know when we got him. He was five, never attached to our family. Uh, we got in a conflict August 2nd. It's the last I've seen him, you know? And uh, like, I have a good friend who has a wayward son, and he says, oh, he's working on his testimony, Right? But you know how difficult it would be for me if I thought that my youngest or my second to youngest son could say you sinned against me without making it right. But because I know that there's nothing like that, I just am able to entrust him to God who gave him to me and he's a stewardship. And my prayer is that he would come to faith in Christ, repent and believe. What did John say in 1 John chapter five? This is the message we have heard from him, declare to you God's light, and in him there's absolutely no darkness of all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleans us from all of our sin. If we say we don't have sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth of God is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We pray, forgive us our sins. How often do we confess our sins before God? I told you about my dad and I love him so much. And every time I pray with him, he'll say, Father, forgive me of my sins. And then he will likely confess a specific sin that he committed. He's 86 years old. And I promise you, less of a sinner than me. But he's still confessing his sin in the purity of his life. Recently, he was given a check for $3 million. That's a lot of money. And we've never had money. And he called me over, showed me the note, this woman that he had led to Christ, and showed me the check. I'd never seen a check like that before. It said $3 million. And I said, my dad's a millionaire. You know, my first thought, I'm rich. He's 86, I'm gonna get inheritance. <laughs> you know his first thought? I wonder if her husband knows that she wrote this check to me. So you know what he did? He called the husband. 
He said, hey, are you on board with this? He said, absolutely not. He said, well, then I'm not on board with it either. He said, I'd like to meet with you. He's an unbeliever. He's 42 years old. January 2nd, the first day that my dad could have cashed the check, he led the guy to Christ and tore up the check in his face. And you know what he said? Way better than $3 million. You know what I thought? Oh, crap. (laughs) And once again, God revealed to me, oh, you got greed in your heart. $3 million or a soul? You choose $3 million every time. What did Jesus say? If you're offering a gift at the altar and there you remember someone has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. First, go be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift to Jesus. What does Corinthians say about communion? He said to those taking communion, your services do more harm than good. Why? Because you have brokenness in relationship to one another. Why? Because you sinned against each other and you don't confess that sin and make that right. Guys, look at the life of David. He was doing well. He was doing fantastic. But then he committed a sin that he was so ashamed of, he couldn't confess it, and he covered it. And what happened to his legacy? And what happened to his story after that? Nathan, thank God for Nathan. And you need to be a friend like that to others who you see in sin. Get them to repent and confess their sin. You can read it in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. Jesus can forgive our sin, but he cannot take away the guilt of our sin without the confession of it. Oh, there's so much more I'd like to say, but I got one more minute. I hope you're confessors. Our first confession is that God, we're sinners. In need of your grace, save us. Our second confession is that daily confession of sins because we're sinners and we need his forgiveness to sanctify us. But guys, if you forgive everybody that hurt you, guess what you're left with? You're left with the guilt of your sin. And whoever it is that sinned against you, most likely it's a familiar relationship, you have sinned against them as well. And even if you think that they hold the bulk of the sin against you, if you release them in forgiveness, guess what you have responsibility of? Even if they were 90% the sinner and you were only 10%, you will give an account of what? Your 10%. You want to be free from sin? You want to walk in victory? James said if we confess our sins one to another, we will be healed, restored, renewed, forgiven. If you bear your sin, you won't prosper. But if you forsake it, confess it, restore relationships, guess what you'll find? Mercy. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I rambled on. And maybe it was okay. Uh, We know that you've called us to forgive. And it's hard. But we need to obey you. We know that you've called us to confess our sins. And that's harder because... We don't want to be identified with the sins that we've committed. We want to be identified with you. But the way we identify with you is to confess our sins and be honest 
And the way that we heal brokenness that we have caused is by going to those and saying, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Oh Lord, I know what you would do in this place if they begin to confess secret sin. I know what you'd do in this place if they begin to restore broken relationships. You would bring revival like no other. There would be joy in this place and healing in our hearts. We ask for that in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You're dismissed.